welcome to the third episode of That's One for the History Books. I'm Marty Cohn. My good friend, you Ryan and I are going to profile accomplished Americans who made important contributions to our country, but who have not received the attention we think they deserve in our history books. Okay, so who are we gonna to talk, to, talk about today? So I read about Grand Knight infiltrating the KKK, a new documentary and first-time collaboration between ABC News and the Associated Press, currently on Hulu. It tells a story of Joe Moore, a former Army sniper, who the FBI asked to go undercover inside a local Klan organization in 2013. Two years later, three men, all current or former Florida correctional officers, were arrested after investigators revealed they were Ku Klux Klan members plotting to kill a black former inmate. Wow, boy. I remember about five years ago, Spike Lee made Black Klansman, a biographical black comedy, a film about Ron Stallworth, an American retired police officer who infiltrated the ranks of the Ku Klux Klan in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Right. So today, I want to talk about someone else who also shined a light on the Ku Klux Klan back in the 1940s, William Stetson Kennedy. Stetson Kennedy infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan and exposed its secrets to authorities and the outside world. His actions led to the 1947 cancellation of the Klan's national corporate charter by the state of Georgia. Impressive. What drove him to do this? Stetson was born on October 5th, 1916 in Jacksonville, Florida to a wealthy aristocratic Southern family. His family included two men who signed the Declaration of Independence, a Confederate army officer, and John Batterson Stetson, the founder of the Hat Empire and the man for whom Stetson University is named. And and Uncle Brady, who served as the head Klan official or great titan of a, con a congressional district. Kennedy's lifelong fight against racism and racist groups may in fact have been fueled by notions of family redemption. More likely, his willingness to risk his life and social standing was motivated by his relationship with a woman known as Flo. When Kennedy was a little boy, it was common for wealthy Southern families to have black maids. Flo was not only a maid to the Kennedys, but in his words, almost like a mother to him. Flo violated Jim Crow etiquette by questioning a white bus driver who refused to give her correct change. For the crime of talking back to a white person, she was tied to a tree, beaten and raped by a gang of Klansmen. This tragic and horrific incident showed the young Kennedy that the Klan, though they claimed to be Christian patriots, were really criminals capable of great savagery. Wow. So now we know the why, but what about the how? So back in the 1940s, the United States was fighting Nazi Nazism in World War II. But because of a back injury, Kennedy was unable to join the military. He satiated his desire to fight injustice, though, by infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan, a domestic Nazi-like terrorist organization. He joined the Georgia Klan 
at the request of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. He would later come to trust those law enforcement personnel. The information that he uncovered was reported in his books, Southern Exposure and The Klan Unmasked. In these books, he used eyewitness data to undermine the racial terrorists who use violence to enforce local Jim Crow laws and customs. In The Klan Unmasked, Kennedy described a heroic tale where he, posing as a racist encyclopedia salesman named John Perkins, infiltrated a Klan organization in Atlanta, Georgia. Risking his life, he donned the Klan hood and robe, burned crosses, gave racist speeches, and secretly collected information about Klan activities. He rose to the position of Clavier, a person expected to exercise force or violence, the equivalent of a mafia strongman. His wrist was slit with a jackknife and he swore a blood oath. Klansmen, do you solemnly swear by God and the devil never to betray secrets entrusted to you as clavalier of the Klan? Thankfully, Kennedy violated this oath. The Klan unmasked contained what one would expect, information about secret Klan rituals and activities, but its other value lay in the connection that Kennedy made between the Klan and the values had held by mainstream citizens. Klansmen saw themselves as God-fearing, law-abiding lovers of patriotism. In their minds, they were the true Americans and many white Americans sympathized with their goals, if not their methods. Klan members and allies included politicians, business leaders, journalists, ministers, and police officers. Klan supporters crossed political party lines including the infamous Talmadge family political machine, who were Democrats, who rode Klan support to national prominence, and Republican business leaders who used the Klan to bust unions one head at a time. In contemporary America, the Klan is seen by most people as an embarrassing relic of this country's racist past. But back in the 40s and the 50s, there were many Americans who openly supported the Klan's objectives. For example, Congressman John Rankin of Mississippi, chair of the House Un-American Activities Committee, opposed investigating the Klan because, after all, the KKK is an old American institution. His colleague, Congressman John Wood of Georgia, added, the threats and intimidation of the Klan are an old American custom like illegal whiskey making. So what did he do with all this evidence? Kennedy sent the evidence he gathered to prosecutors, politicians, journalists, human rights organizations, anyone else who he thought might disseminate the information. This was risky. He had no foolproof way to know if the recipient of the damning information was not himself or herself a Klan sympathizer. Kennedy, however, found an ally in Andrew Russell Pearson, a popular muckraking journalist and radio host known professionally as Drew Pearson. For a time in the 1940s, Pearson read the minutes from Klan meetings on his national radio show. This was devastating to the Klan. The minutes included the names of prominent citizens who had attended Klan meetings and rallies. Among the list of names, 
were both pillars of the community who did not mind being identified with the KKK and those were who, who were embarrassed to have their names publicly linked to Klan activities. In part, as a result of this public attention, Klan membership started to decrease. Kennedy also contacted Robert Maxwell, the producer of The Adventures of Superman radio show, and pitched the storyline of Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan. It was not a hard sell. World War II had ended, and the fictional Superman had defeated Hitler, Mussolini, Hirohito, and other followers. The Man of Steel needed a new foe. The writers created Clan of the Fiery Cross, a series where Superman battled the Klan. Kennedy and the show's producers recognized that the Klan thrived on secrecy. By revealing everything from local Klan gossip to the Klan's organizational structure and code words, the program stripped the Klan of its air of mystery and hurt Klan recruiting and membership. Doc Green, a Grand Dragon in the Atlanta, Georgia Klan, was furious that the KKK's secrets were being shared and trivialized on a national radio show. He ranted. He threatened a local boycott of Pep Serial, sponsors of the Adventures of Superman. And not surprisingly, he placed a bounty on the unknown rat. Kennedy traveled with a Smith & Weston 32 automatic in a shoulder holster. So what happened to him? Well, after World War II, Kennedy worked as a journalist, an author, a gubernatorial candidate in Florida, and a founding member and past president of the Florida Folklore Society. He died at age 94 on August 27th, 2011. What a colorful life. Uh, you're right, you. I, I'd be remiss, though, if I did, did not mention that Kennedy had a great many detractors and critics. In some instances, the criticism was born of pro-Klan sympathies. However, there's a criticism that's not so easy to dismiss. That is that his depictions were more fictional than real, and he embellished his role. Before his death, Kennedy acknowledged that some accounts in his books were derived from the actions of co-infiltrators or other others that who were sympathetic with undermining the Klan. Regardless, infiltrating the Klan was an act of great courage, and the information in the books and on the radio shows led to the arrest of some Klansmen, the derailing of domestic terrorist acts, and the unpopularity of the Klan organization. Well, courageous and effective. That's good enough for me. I think he's definitely one for the history books. I agree. Thanks for listening to this edition of That's One for the History Books. The music, Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. I'm Marty Cohn with my co-host, you Ryan. Stay healthy. Thank you.